today we have a guest preacher, Mr. Dave Murphy from the district office, is going to come up and give us our message today. So, Dave, Thank take you. it away. <laughs> well, good morning. I'll tell you, uh, I don't usually get an applause when I get up to speak. Here, here's the test. If you still applause when I'm done, you know, do an applause when I'm done, then I'll feel a little bit better. But don't do that. Please don't. Do I'm just joking. I'm not sure how I take applause very well. So, you know, uh, April was the target date for us to get back into travels. And so it was a long year. I suffer from a uh, very rare autoimmune issue, neuromuscular issue. And I've preached here before. I looked a little different, had a big beard and all that, and uh, don't, don't have that any longer and stuff like that. And so for, for the year, my doctors were like, you can't go anywhere because uh, of the fear of getting COVID, and I was a high-risk individual. They call it pre-morbidity now. It used to be pre-existing condition. Why they changed it? To pre I mean, that just is not flattering. You know, I don't know why they do that. It's like, boy, you're trying to make us feel better. And he's like, you're pre-death. Oh, well, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, okay. And so uh, my wife and I, we had to use uh, a lot of caution uh, over a year. So I, I worked from home, and I was in the house so much that it's finally a joy to be able to be back out. You know, I did get COVID in December. Praise the Lord. Didn't end up in the hospital. And uh, the Lord was good. Took me a while to recover. Um, but then that could be old age, too. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we have three wonderful uh, children. And uh, one of them is a, a genetic researcher at uh, Rochester. So that's where I get all my care. Uh, all four of my specialists are in Rochester. So we drive from Binghamton to Rochester uh, because he doesn't want, as his words, the witch doctors in Binghamton taking care of me. <laughs> he would rather have me come to Rochester. So those are his words, not mine. And, um, but he's, he kept a good eye on me. And then I have a daughter-in-law in Vestal where we live near the area who's a nurse practitioner. And she came over every couple of days to check my lungs to make sure I was doing okay. And our, our youngest daughter-in-law just now passed her nursing boards. And so she's a nurse. So let me tell you, <laughs> you got three that are in the medical field in your life. Man, you can't do anything anymore. I'll tell you, it's just... <laughs> I love them, but man, they're a pain in the neck. And, uh, but I, I praise the Lord for their, their care. So I don't usually stand for music because, you know, with the neuromuscular disease, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be tired after standing here to preach. I have uh, some lung issues, if you can hear them. So if I'm coughing, I just wanted to tell you, don't get scared if I cough and think it's like pandemic or contagion movie or whatever, and it's just a natural condition I have, so... I wanted to share that. I've been in uh, ministry now. I'm in my 34th year of ministry. Um, so I know I look a lot younger than that. Thank you for thinking that. Um, I'm in my 34th year of ministry, 30 of those years with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so I had the opportunity to pastor the Vestal Church for almost 25 years. And it was a great experience. And now have been on district staff, uh, actually it'll be six years beginning in July, uh, that I have been on district staff, and the Lord has just blessed in those times. 
as I share with you this morning, I want to start with a personal illustration. Well, that's nice. I appreciate you doing that. But, but see, my kids would tell me to sit down, but I'm not going to do that. Okay, thank you. Because I can't, if I sit down, I, it's like my mouth won't work. So you know how that is. I need to stand to preach. So, but it's there. He told me the stage does wobble. So I'm, I'm ready for that too. But I want to share a personal illustration as we begin to look into the Word today. Uh, I, I was, I was a, a rock and roll teenager. You know, I grew up in uh, a time where I just loved uh, rock and roll. As a matter of fact, my favorite genre of music still is classic rock. I hope that doesn't turn you off from the rest of my message. But, you know, if I'm traveling and I put on worship music, it's good for a while. But to keep me awake and keep me going, I sometimes switch to the classic rock and that gets me going. That's just, that's my style of music. And so when I was in junior high school, my, uh, my uh, sibling and uh, three of my cousins and then three other very talented individuals in our, in our church, we decided to do what every kid in middle school decides to do and we started a band. And uh, I'll tell you, man, uh, we were fantastic in our minds. (laughs) We were, I mean, we were cool. I had long hair. I mean, I could put it in a ponytail at one point, if you could believe that. Uh, And so, you know, we had the long hair, and we wore these shirts that were pastels in color, flowery, and everything like that. And I mean, we just looked the part. Didn't last very long for one reason is that most of us weren't very talented musically. We were okay. And and please don't take this the wrong way. By the way, worship team, thank you. Very great worship at the beginning of the service. I appreciate church uh, worship that way. So thank you. But I would tell you, we probably weren't even to that level. (laughs) You know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes if you can't make it anywhere else, they say, well, you can be on the church worship team. Um, my son was our sound tech, and many times I'd go back and make sure that mic is off and that mic is off. Let him up there and hold it, but you know what the deal is. Um, because some of us, it's more difficult with music. So we did it for about a year, year and a half, and we did contemporary music, contemporary Christian music, which if you heard it today, you'd go, what in the world are they singing? You know, because that's that many years ago. And so those songs probably aren't even sung anymore. Let me tell you something. When you sing solos, you still have to have a good voice. But it's generally a little bit easier to sing solos. And the reason I say that is there's only one person you have to be concerned about. And it's yourself. You're only concerned about what, uh, what note do I have to hit at what time, or at least be close enough to, at what time in order to sing that solo. And if you have an instrumentalist or you're your own instrumentalist, you have control of, you know, tempo, you have control of. If you, if you, if you somehow miss timing, you can correct that on your own and do all that stuff. So singing a solo, even though you still have to practice, and by the way, that's why we were a terrible band. We wanted to be good without any kind of practice. Anybody been there before? I still sometime in my dreams, I'm a great rock and roll singer, but, but I don't want to do the practice. So it's tough to do solos, but it's, it's much easier than singing harmony. 
Uh, I, I uh, was saved as a teenager, and we attended what is called the Primitive Methodist Church. And the Primitive Methodist Church, even today, uh, they're, they're a holiness organization, and so they still use the hymnal. Uh, the, they, they're the kind of church that says, we sing hymns, we have a break, and then we'll sing one or two choruses just to appease the younger crowd. But, you know, it's the hymns that are important. And you have to sing harmony. So there's no screen, there's no projection, there's nothing like that, because they want you to open the hymnal and look at the four parts, and they're always encouraging you to sing harmony. You know how hard it is to sing harmony? I still try to do it. But without any notes in front of me, uh, without hearing instrumentalists, you know, that are going to be playing the bass line, it's very difficult for me to sing harmony. And a lot of times I'm singing something other than the melody, but I don't know if it's harmony. Because I'm trying to find, I want to I mix it up a little bit. But singing harmony is a lot more difficult. Why? Because you have to be concerned with everybody else. Am I singing notes that are going to be in harmony or, or be in step with what everybody else is singing? Am, am, am I uh, uh, following the timing so I'm not messing up the people next to me? So sometimes I used to see the old men in the choir. One of them would cover his ear <laughs> so the person next to him wouldn't mess him up because he wanted to stay and make sure he wasn't hearing something else that was going to confuse him. In many of our churches, and you did it this morning, we sing unison. Unison is not solo, and it's not harmony. Unison is everybody singing the same note. And so I would say it simply this way. Unison is like everybody singing a solo. It's just the same solo. And so when we think about music, we begin to see, uh, when we think, of, think about singing, we begin to see that there are different nuances when it comes to singing. Solo, harmony, unison. But here's my concern, that much like music, harmony in relationships and in the church is somewhat difficult. The, the, the harmony is the toughest part of it. Unison is easy. And a lot of times we defer to singing in unison, even in the church. In a sense, we're saying, hey, we want you to be part of the group. We want you to be part of the band. However, you must sing in unison with us. And that's not what Paul's teaching in our scripture this morning. He is not saying you can replace harmony with unison. You cannot replace harmony with solo, you're challenged to live differently. This is going to drive me crazy. Um, I apologize for that. You know, it, it, it keeps falling down. So if you can't hear me, just go like this or something, and I'll talk a little bit louder for you. You know, in the church, I think, uh, as Paul's going to share in his scripture with us this morning, that he's writing to the church at Rome, I, I think he kind of gives the idea that too often we just want to go solo or unison in the church. Going solo and going unison is, is much easier. But when the church learns to live in harmony, just like with music, uh, there are amazing benefits 
that come out of learning what harmony is. And so in Romans 14 and 15, Paul goes into details about efforts that Christian brothers and sisters must take in order to live in harmony with one another. And his stated goal is actually found in Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 5, where he just simply says these words, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says there's a goal to harmony in the church, and that is to bring glory to our Heavenly Father and bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Christian unity, Christian harmony, isn't something that can be manufactured. It is a gift of God. And so when the Spirit of God is at work in his people, we are able to help maintain that unity that we have most definitely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the situation that Paul is now talking about in Romans chapters 14 and 15? Well, he's, he's, he's wrestling with the interplay of Christian liberty and love, a topic which he also addresses very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 10. And so here in Romans, Paul brings up two specific topics that were causing divisions in the church. Number one, eating meat. And uh, (laughs) it's interesting. We have a son, the one that's the researcher in Rochester, that's very concerned about diet and things like that. And so he doesn't like it that dad likes red meat. And we, my wife and I, we eat poultry, and we try to be, we eat fish. Uh, but I'm sorry, there's something about red meat. But if you go to his house, you won't see it. So you don't visit a long time. Um, <laughs> unless you want to eat chicken or fish every day. The other was observing the Sabbath. You know, uh, these are the two issues that Paul begins to deal with in Romans 14 and 15. And he makes it abundantly clear here and elsewhere that the Christian is free in Christ to eat whatever food they desire. Yet for various reasons, eating meat or not keeping the Sabbath day, it began to prick the conscience. It began to work against the harmony when it came to some brothers or sisters in the church. You know something today in our cultural context, especially coming off 2020 and the year that we've had, (laughs) anybody familiar with this last year? You know, we can probably think of a number of categories that maybe fit into the same thing that Paul was dealing with. Maybe we're not dealing with meat in the Sabbath day. But we're dealing with a lot of other stuff, aren't we? Anybody remember an election? Anybody remember the issue of a mask mandate? Anybody remember social distancing? Anybody remember immigration, movies, alcohol, music, whatever? I told you, I was saved in a very strict holiness church. And so, you know, uh, you had to go to the altar if you thought about alcohol. You had to go to the altar if you thought about playing cards. You know, or as my grandmother used to call them, face cards. So, you know, if you wanted to play poker, you had to use the rook cards. That was okay, but you couldn't use face cards. Uh, That's a whole other message. Never mind. You had to wear a dress if you went to church. You had to wear a tie 
if you went to church. I almost wore shorts today because this is the church I could have done it at. So, uh, but then I didn't. But um, because I'm still a district worker, this is online, and I don't want my DS seeing me in shorts. So, <laughs> so how does Paul help us work through issues of harmony in the church? Well, let me pray, and then I want to begin looking at these scriptures a little bit more intently. Father, uh, we need your help. Uh, we ask that through your son, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will speak a better message into our hearts and our minds than I could ever speak. That Holy Spirit, you will, you will speak to, to the depths of who we are, to the depths of our understanding so that we can grasp the scriptures today and see it bring change and growth and encouragement and blessing to our lives today. I pray this for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, the first thing Paul says here in these chapters, Romans 14 and 15, he says that the Christian must welcome the weaker brother or sister. The Christian must welcome the weaker brother or sister. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or her, but not to quarrel over opinions. I love this verse. And the reason I love this verse is Paul begins this dialogue about harmony and saying, first of all, we have to have welcoming spirits. And that means as members of the church, and this is not just for Sunday service. You understand that. It means a welcoming spirit is something you live with all the time. Are you welcoming people into your life? Are you welcoming them as they are into your life and beginning to uh, uh, develop relationship with them for the sake of the glory of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ? I love what he attaches here. He says, but not to quarrel over opinions. <laughs> Man, Paul was wise. Well, the Holy Spirit is giving Paul these words. The Holy Spirit is pretty, pretty sharp, isn't he? He says a lot of times we'll welcome people, but it is for the purpose of telling them how they are wrong and how they need to be right. Hey, we'd love you to be part of us, but... Here's some things we're going to help you correct. Uh, here's some things about politics you need to understand. Now, that probably doesn't happen in an enlightened congregation like this. But it does happen in Christian Politics becomes more important than the glory of the Father and of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's some other issue that you're dealing with, an issue on how do we love the foreigner, or how do we, how do we reach out to those who maybe uh, are, are tattooed from head to toe, or, or, or people who maybe uh, uh, see uh, liberty in many areas of the Christian life and so forth. Paul begins to tell us that, that it is clear to us that disagreements over matter of conscience are not reasons to separate from fellowship or to exclude someone from fellowship. And too often in our churches, we come to this divide over issues of conscience or preference, and in a sense then we stop this call to glorify God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Because we're more concerned about us. Uh, if, if, I can, if I can meddle a little bit, is it okay if I meddle a little bit? Because Paul meddles a little bit. And Paul says, 
that often we allow that sin that so easily encompasses our life, and it's the sin of self-preference. And the sin of self-preference, some call it pride, some call it other things, but the sin of self-preference says, I want what I prefer, and if you don't give me what I prefer, then somehow you are deficient. Because my preferences matter first and foremost. We see it in every area of our life, from race to politics uh, to uh, worship styles to clothing to to lifestyle choices. I mean, we just say, if, you, if you're not going to live according to my preference, then, then we, can't, we can't have harmony. We can no longer be together. You know something? If the church were divide, to divide over minor issues of conscience or preference, we're no better than the Lions Club or the Rotary or whatever community club you want to name, which are bound together by mutual interests or vision. If you want to be part of certain clubs in your community, they tell you very clearly, this is what you have to be, this is what you have to think, this is what you have to do to be part of our club. That's not the church. Now, there are certain things that we talk about that are non-negotiable. I understand that. The gospel is non-negotiable. Amen. Thank you for interacting, because if you don't, the sermon goes longer. <laughs> we need, there are non-negotiables. Non-negotiable. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way for salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us for Christian living. There are non-negotiables we have, okay? I understand that. But there are lots of areas where we don't force preference or conscience upon individuals. Because the church is bound by something far greater. We are not united to Christ our Savior and thus united to one another in Him. And so first we must be committed to always welcoming one another and not allowing the seeds of division to take root. Secondly, Paul instructs us not to pass judgment on one another. Look at verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in way of a brother. Now, I, I want you to understand something very clear. When, when Paul says, do not pass judgment, he's not saying that Christians can't speak into and cannot challenge sin. We are, we are called to do that. That's not judging. When, when we see someone whose life is out of kilter with with their relationship with Jesus, we're told as, as someone who is loving, we go to them and we say, you know, we want to help you get back into step on these non-negotiables with God and help you live a life that is, is uh, uh, beneficial and pleasing and full of blessing before God. That's not what Paul's talking about. Judgment is, again, based upon self-preference. And what he's saying is don't pass judgment based on what you prefer, what your matter of conscience and preference is, and you begin to judge others because, oh my goodness, did you see what she wore this morning? Well, that's judgment. Because you've set a standard of this is the way I'm going to dress, this is the way everybody else, to you've just entered the judging mode. Do you, does, does that help? Shake your heads or something, because I don't want to lose you on this point, because this is a this is a huge point in the church. 
we sometimes begin to blur that line between this is the living that God has called us to as followers of Jesus Christ with this is my self-preference and you have to do what makes me feel comfortable. When I was pastoring at Valley View Alliance Church, I had the opportunity to lead a young man who was a truck driver to Christ and he had tattoos, <laughs> and, and I told him he didn't have to prove it. He said, I have tattoos on every area of my body except my face. He said, I drew the line at my face. I don't know why the line was at his face, because, I mean, from the chin down, he had tattoos everywhere. And a lot of them were not, you know, it's not something you would probably want displayed in a church with a bunch of older ladies around. <laughs> but he comes to Jesus. What a radical conversion. I still get emotional about it. And this is years ago. And he was a guy still driving truck at night. The only problem was that he'd always call me at 3 in the morning because that's when he would be having a spiritual crisis. I did, I did give him counsel once and said, have a spiritual crisis during the day, please. Um, at night, it's getting tough. But we would talk through some things sometimes at night. However, our church was not ready to welcome him. And we were an upper-middle-class church, and probably at that time, no one had tattoos. Or if they did, they wouldn't admit it. And so someone in our church came to him and said, in our church, we expect. See, that's judgment. In our church, we expect you to cover up all your tattoos when you come to worship. So long pants, long sleeves, cover them up if you're going to come here for worship. And he was devastated. And he came to me and said, will I always, he equated that not to be welcomed by God himself. Will I always be under judge God's judgment because of my tattoos? What do I do? And so um, I helped another couple in our church transitioned him to a church that would welcome him. And I hated to lose him. I hated to lose that other couple. But I said, if we're not there yet in our Christian maturity, we're going to get you to a place where you're welcomed and you can grow in your faith. You see, those are the judgment issues. And so Paul says, when it comes to issues of conscience and preference, do not pass judgment. What he's saying in the context, what harm does it bring me if someone doesn't want to eat meat or wants to eat meat or doesn't want to do work on Sundays or does want to do something on a Sunday? But I think he's also giving us this impression that when we enter into judgment, it makes us hypocritical quite often because we demand of people stuff that we can't even do. And so he says very clearly, we will all stand one day, verse 10 of this chapter says, we all, will all stand one day at the judgment seat of, of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Leave it up to God. Leave it up to God to evaluate and to judge those things. We are not to do that as followers of Jesus. But there's a third thing that Paul 
speaks about in these two chapters as well as it comes to learning to live in harmony or unity as the body of Christ. And third says, Paul instructs us to pursue peace and edification or the building up of people. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, the word peace here is not absence of conflict. Okay? Not again. Okay, if you're with me. A lot of times we see the word peace and we, we, we equate it to conflict. You know something? If you get everybody to sing a solo, if you get everybody to sing in unison, you can eliminate conflict but it's not peace. So that's why Paul's not talking about just eliminating conflict. I'll tell you, I don't, uh, conflict always arises, by the way. The, the harder you work to eliminate conflict and to make a totally conflict environment, the more conflict you, you, you encounter. I like to call tension. Tension is great. You know, tension is how we build muscles. Tension is how we build brain muscles, spiritual muscles. You know, there should be tension in the body of Christ. Differences of preference and conscience and so forth that causes us to stretch each other and what? Build each other up. Causes us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. That's what tension does. Conflict just causes us to scatter the sheep. Well, if you're going to fight over this, I'll just go somewhere else. And I've seen that happen in too many churches. So as sinful human beings, it is too often the case that we focus on the negatives about each other. Oh my goodness, God, God has to deliver us from this. I'm not on social media. Say hallelujah! I know young pastors that I work with, oh, you've got to be on social media to connect with people. The Pew Foundation Trust did a study of social media platforms and found that 93% of all comments are negative in nature, even when they are couched in positive terms. It's kind of like this. Well, you don't look as bad as you did last week. You know, oh, that's a positive comment. I'm telling you, you look, no, you're not saying, I, you're just saying I don't look as bad. That's a positive, you, you understand. And, you know, I finally said, I don't need 93% of what I'm, I'm feeding into my mind to be negative in nature. Now, Corey, you remember Corey. I saw him at council this year, Corey Prothero. And Corey said to me, Dave, I miss you on social media because you were always so positive and would share scripture and do. And I said, I just couldn't in my mind take it anymore and it wasn't worth the investment. So I was hopefully more often in that 7%, but I don't do it anymore. Why? Because as in our human nature, because of this battle of self-preference, very often what we do, even though it may seem positive, is negative in nature. The negative seems to come to the top more often. So Paul says, let's focus on what is good. Let's focus on where people are growing. Let's work towards building up one another in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't remember any other statement I say this morning, I want you to remember this one. Instead of focusing on how the actions of others may affect me, I should be asking how my actions are affecting others. 
Boy, I thought they'd get a better response than that. Do you understand this statement? Because the negative is usually the other way. We're focusing more on how you're affecting me. We live our life sometimes in the church thinking, you need to live in a way that benefits me, makes me happy, and all that other stuff. Makes me feel comfortable. Instead of saying, how am I living my life? Am I living it in such a way so that you and you and you and you are being built up in your relationship with Jesus Christ so that you're able to glorify the Father, our Heavenly Father, through the life that you live? It it, it is a spiritual battle that we have to engage in. Moving from the negative into the positive. We've seen this done in secular ways, you know, pay it forward or all those things, you know. Uh, I, I, I've been the re- Wow, that scared me. I've been the re- I've been the- I thought God was coming and saying, wait, David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. <laughs> Whoom. But, you know, I've been in the, the drive-through and get up to the window. Oh, the person behind you uh, has paid for your coffee. The pressure is great when that happens because I'm going... Well, I want to pay for the person behind me, but, but how much was their order? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so the, the, the secular world knows how to do this. How can we do something positive? This should be the life of the church. People should be saying, wow, you, every time I'm around you, believer, every time I'm around you, follower of Jesus, my life is enriched. I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being appreciated. I feel like you're trying to help me step into a life that God has always intended for me. I, I feel like you make the way easier for me rather than harder. You see, I think that that's what Paul is talking about in pursuing peace, because the peace, the term peace here right now is, is a more theological term than we realize. And Paul likes to pull that word peace out all the time, and it talks about we are no longer considered an enemy by God. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean an absence of conflict with one another. It means so that we can walk into and begin to understand most fully that God is now at peace with us because of the work of his son Jesus in our lives. Amen? Amen. That's what Paul's talking about. So are you pursuing that kind of peace and building people up and edifying them? The final thing that Paul touches on this morning and instructs us about is simply this issue to bear with the failings of the weak. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So every one of these points, Paul is is trying to change the focus from us, self-preference, to others in the body of Christ for the sake of not just the body of Christ. And by the way, it it is a good thing to say, I want to benefit the people sitting in in my church. I I I want to help them grow and all that. Remember what he began with. Welcome so that we can bring glory to our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the ultimate goal is still not humans. (laughs) It's still not making us 
feel great and us be better. It is so that our lives are adjusted in such a way that God is glorified and Jesus is because of what they have done in us. So it should, it should always bounce like, you know? People see your life and they don't go, wow, you're great. They go, boom, God is great. God is glorious. Look what he did with you. No, that's one of those comments. Never mind. That's one of those comments we shouldn't do on, on Facebook Live or whatever. I'm, on, I'm live, aren't I? I apologize. Where's the camera? I should probably look once in a while at that. Thank you, crowd, for, for being here, by the way. But Paul says, bear with the failings of the weak. Simply, I must be willing at times to sacrifice my own liberties to serve my brother or sister in Christ. The term weak here can be interpreted in two ways. And by the way, in the first Corinthians passage, Paul uses it differently than he uses it here. Same term, weak, but he applies it differently. He's particularly writing to a church made up of former Jewish people who lived very faithfully to the law. That's the church at Rome. It was made up mostly of, of Jews who have come into relationship with Christ. And so when he talks about weak here, he uses the term to mean those who were very wise or very mature in the Jewish way of living, the law, he refers to them as weak. And what he means is they're so religious they miss the grace and liberty that is found in Jesus Christ. And so they're coming from the weakness of, well, you know, I remember we always wore ties in church. Or, you know, you've got to behave this way, or we need to sing this music, or, you know, long time we've just been, we're ingrained in this living in the church. And so uh, they became weak in the sense of, of mixing their preferences and matters of conscience into the non-negotiables of the gospel and have made them elevated to the point, if you don't get circumcised, if you don't dress this way, if you don't sing this song, if you don't do this, then somehow you're missing the mark. And so he saw them to be weak. But Paul says, bear with the failings of the weak. Now in Corinthians, he goes the other way. Church at Corinth one of the most dysfunctional churches, Paul still says they're part of the body of Christ. Isn't that reassuring sometimes, you know? You people are so messed up, but God loves you and you're his. <laughs> but he called them weak as well because they were coming out of license. So one's coming out of legalism, one's coming out of license. In the two chapters, he calls them both weak. But he says to those of us who are growing in the grace of Jesus and the understanding of what it is to live in relationship with Jesus, who are walking deeper into Jesus and experiencing the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we need to bear with both groups. We have to understand that it's going to take a little time for those who are living in license to come to a point where they're understanding most fully some of these things where Jesus says, do all I have commanded you to do. By the way, that doesn't just happen the moment you come to Jesus. It is a process. We're told that. It's a process where we teach and they, and they grow in their relationship. Amen? But it's the same thing for those who are on the other side in legalism. Those Jews were coming in and they haven't fully understand the grace that is in Jesus. 
and that there are certain liberties that we have in Jesus. We don't have to do circumcision anymore. We don't have to obey the Sabbath anymore. We don't have to avoid uh, uh, meat in the marketplace because, you know, the meat in the marketplace, it was just assumed that that was sacrifice to idols. And so avoid all meat and become a vegetarian, and then you don't make the mistake of eating any meat that could have been sacrificed to an idol. Paul says, what is the problem with us at times in working with either weak group to say, you know what, when I'm with them, I'm not going to eat meat. I don't need the meat. I want it, but I don't need it. And so when I'm with them, I am not going to force the issue. Or when it comes to those who are living in license, I'm not going to say, oh, boy, you can't talk that way. And I, and I tell you, I've worked with some people who have come to Jesus. They're learning how to talk right or talk good or talk better, whatever you want to put there. But they haven't come to that point yet. And so sometimes things come out of their mouth and other people would go, wow, did you hear that? It's like, how could you not hear that? But they haven't come to that point in their relationship with Jesus yet. So we bear with, now I don't use that language, but we bear with the failings of both sides. This is what Paul's saying. The abstinence of my grace-filled liberty in Jesus, it's not a permanent thing, but I can, I can act upon abstinence. I can act upon working or being, as Paul said, I will be all things to all people for the sake of, of the gospel and the growth of that weaker brother or sister. <laughs> so when you look at these verses here in Romans 5, again, we come to this, this issue, this conclusion that he's making in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such what? Harmony. Let me tell you, we need people to sing solos, all right? I'm not saying you give up solos. Each one of you is singing a solo in front of everybody you come in contact with. You're singing your life with Jesus. In front. Learn to sing that solo well. You have to be singing a solo. By the way, we love solos in the church, don't we? We love to see individual people singing the songs the new song, as Revelation says, the new song that Christ has brought into their life because of this new relationship. So I'm not telling you not to sing a solo. Those are important. I'm not telling you not to sing in unison. That's important too. There are certain things when we sing, we sing together. I, I should have asked your worship team. I don't know. There's that song out there, and I can't remember the name. See, this is how good I'm at music. I can't remember the name of the song, but you sing the Apostles' Creed. You know which one I'm talking about? It used to be popular four or five years ago. I, I love doctrinal songs like that. It's just my quirk. Yeah, you, you sing literally the words of Scripture. You can't go wrong. You sing the Apostles' Creed. How can you go wrong singing the Apostles' Creed? I believe in the Father. You, you know what song I'm talking about. We need to sing that in unison together. There are certain things we come together and say, this is our song, and we're all singing it the same. Those are the essentials of the gospel. Maybe it's the vision or the mission of the church. I don't know. But there are certain times you have to sing in unison. You have to be together. 
Because if you got, ha- I mean, if you're dividing up, oh, we're going this way, we're going this way, we're going this way, we're going this way, that's going to create conflict. But what Paul is saying, there's got to be harmony. And so how are you living in harmony? How are you living in unity today? As you begin to look at others within the church, others outside the church, don't think this way. Well, you know, they can go to that church because they'd fit better there. I always regret that I did that with this young man. I should have, I should have because I was a stinker when I first came into ministry. I'm sharing that it's on everywhere now. Um, but I had a man tell me, we expect our pastors to wear dark suits and white shirts. Very next Sunday, I wore a <laughs> light-colored suit with a print tie. That was not a good thing to do. But it was my way of saying, if you're going to tell me I have to be this way, that's, that's my life, by the way, growing up. I was always that contrary kid. If you tell me this, I will do this. Anybody been there? That's self-preference. You know what I mean? And I grew out of that, I think, a little bit. Still battling it. But we need to look at people in our church and say, how am I contributing to their life so that we can live in harmony and all of us can be built up in Christ Jesus? And this is what what Paul's talking about. Live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Those are the non-negotiables. That together you may glory, you may with one voice, that's unison, live in harmony so that in unison. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yes, it is, Dave. It's cool. Remember, interact with me. That God, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, sing good solos, but live in harmony so that in one voice, in unison, you can glorify your Heavenly Father. So, Jesus, uh, again, I ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you can make better application to our lives. I don't, I don't know where people this morning are in this sense of, of living and dwelling in unity together uh, as followers of Jesus. I don't know where this community is. And, and when it comes to the church, the, uh, uh, the invisible, the true church of Christ, how they're living together in harmony together. I don't know what's happening in this region. But I know, Lord, that there have been some real challenges this past year. And there has been some real testing. And now that we're coming back together, and perhaps, Lord, now as we're seeing people uh, uh, fellowshipping uh, uh, together again and, and, and being able to live life together, and all of these things uh, seem to be behind us from this past year, Lord, that we will be able to focus on this issue of living in harmony together so that as the, we, we know, Father, that the world will jump on anything negative in the church very quickly. And we'll say, see, see, we told you. We we need to break that pattern. And we need to live in such a way that as you have shared with us throughout your revelation, that the world looks at the church 
The world looks at the followers of Jesus and says very clearly, there is absolutely something different about them. I need to know more about this. We don't scatter. Father, help us to live so that we gather and bring people in, both into a relationship with you, into your kingdom, into the church, so that they can add to the harmony that is realized in the body of Christ. I pray this for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.